Andrea Tessman. Yes, Kirk Buckner. You know, before we get to October 1st, 1977, you know, we've got a fan letter. Uh-oh. Kind of, sort of. Should we, should we get into that from, from, our, from our favorite third wheel? Uh, this, this would be Brad, our favorite, uh, the, someone who really enjoys our show. I think he enjoys you more than myself. That's okay. And I apologize for calling you out, but if it's any consolation, Brad, I don't remember because I was completely obliterated. <laughs> I actually don't remember. I looked back on that and I thought it was actually one of the Aussies I was talking to. So, yeah, but Brad's got, Brad felt that he needed to defend himself. So I, I think we should sort of like uh, look at what he had to say. And this is in reference to actually our number one podcast so far, uh, Down Under. That, that's actually done our most listens. Hmm. Yeah, so it must be the whole Aussie contingent. So here's from Brad. After being called out multiple times in one, he put it out in like capital, one podcast. I guess I kind of have to respond. First questions for the Aussies. We'll, we'll relate this to them. As part of your civic duty to warn tourists and potential tourists about the dangers of drop bears. What's a drop bear? It's a, uh, we were talking about drop bears. They're- um, oh, I was drunk, I don't remember. They're, they're just koalas. There's, oh. there's just a, they just like taking the piss and telling people that there's these bears that hang out in trees and drop down onto people and things. Ah. They, they were right. given, trying to really give me a good run for it though, telling me that you just can't, pitch a tent underneath the trees that have the drop pairs. Mm, yeah, well, pitching a tent means something else in my language, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so let's see, I asked because I'd like to visit one day and I've already started my drop bear preparation kit. Is there anything other than heavy netting, drop bear bait, including eucalyptus oil, of course, and camouflage socks that I might need? Thank you for your service in protecting unwary travelers. Also, he's got more. Is the reason Aussies travel so much because you like visiting places that are almost exclusively populated by killer animals and the descendants of criminals? I should probably defend myself against the stalker accusations. Did I call him a stalker? I think the Aussies called him a stalker. Okay. Sounds like something that I might have done. Uh, but they're just fun. Uh, besides, I don't want Aunt Andrea searching for her home, her home for cameras. She might find them. <laughs> Uh -huh. When she told me you guys were doing a music-based show, though, I had to check it out. I was a DJ for a decade in pubs, clubs, on cruise ships, mobile gigs, and a strip club. All right, Brad, okay. Yes. Yeah? Yes, right. he was a strip club DJ. How, how many times did he play Turn the Page? <laughs> or, I'm sure or, he'll respond and let you know. Strut by Bob Seger. That just seems like a stripper song, doesn't it? Yeah. Or what, who, who sings I'm in love with a stripper? I think there's a rapper who does that. But maybe, maybe, the, maybe the strippers in question think, well, that's just too obvious. And that sort of goes against my craft. I, I, I don't know. Uh, da, da, da. So I love music and enjoy the deep dives you guys do on your tunes of choice. I always seem to walk away having learned something new about the featured artist and her song. And your banter certainly doesn't hurt. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Brad. So we do enjoy that. Hopefully you will enjoy our deep dive into Miko. <sighs> wow. Yeah, uh, so what we're looking at today, it's October 1st, 1977. 
Star Wars theme discofied. Kurt, you're like totally cutting in and out, and I heard nothing since Miko. Since Miko. All right, let's uh, let's Why see if we can sort of pause. Yeah, sorry about that delay, everyone. And I ain't editing shit out because it's a pain in my ass. So there you go. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna look at Miko, October first, nineteen seventy-seven. You know, I, I gotta say, I mean, I barely remember this. I mean, I was a Star, was, I am a Star Wars geek. I've got, actually, I still have, oh, yeah, it's funny. I still have all my action figures from when I was a kid. If you're watching this, you can see I've got Han Solo and C-3PO. Han Solo, the, the casting, he's got super tiny feet, which I don't know what they're trying to say about Harrison Ford there, but it would explain his uh, choice in wives. I guess it sort of fits in perfectly. <laughs> get it? No? All right, fine. Well, they're not all gems, Andrea. They're not all gems. I try. But I barely remember this disco thing. Uh, I Most people don't. This is the real definition of a fad song, if there ever was one. You're, you're tapping it on the biggest movie at the time. This was actually still current. Star Wars came out in May. Putting it in perspective. So this guy churned this out pretty goddamn fast. He apparently was a was a sci-fi geek. Went and saw the movie, fell in love with it, mm -hmm. saw it again like seven more times, um, and then decided, hey, I should make this into disco. And then he went shopping around to record labels before he found someone willing to actually cash in on both the star wars and the disco fad with him well i guess we should look at him a bit first because he's not a brand he's not a novice at this point to the music industry uh no. so i got i gotta admit so like when i when i said we were going to look at this one and i never looked at this song really before i just assumed that this was some euro trash guy mm -hmm. and i'm partly right i mean his full name is dominico monardo from pennsylvania I was expecting like Falco levels of Euro trash. Right, right. And that and that's and he very well might be Euro trash, but he comes from it naturally from upstate Pennsylvania, hanging out with the Amish, I guess. I, I don't I don't know. Well, classically and jazz trained trombonist of all things. Um, and then also working on the back end of like when he wasn't like Miko, the mm -hmm. Not that he's really a front man in any of this because it's all no. never I, actually headlined anything. Can't find his picture um, anywhere. No, but um, working as a producer and he he had some good, um, like some success. Yeah, uh, his biggest success prior to this, I think, would be with uh, uh, Tommy James and the Shondells. He worked on Crystal Blue, Blue, uh, Blue Persuasion. And he had a, actually a pretty big hit after this. That I guess we'll touch on after, but... So it's not like for him to sort of shop around with for this record deal. It's not like this. He's some random, ra random guy saying, "Hey, I got this idea." You know, he had contacts. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, the one who sold, who we pitched it to, was Casablanca. And I, at that point, I think Casablanca, from what I've been reading, they'll do anything. Yeah, he seems like he was a bit of a. I don't know if shyster's the right. Uh... Neil Bogart. Oh, shyster, I think is a, is a very good word for him. 
shyster crackhead from what I've learned, <laughs> which, hey, I mean, like it, it takes all kinds, I suppose. And again, I, the, the speed in which he did this, because we're looking, we're looking at 77. So this went number one in October 1st. So he, he must have put this out in a month. Three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. I didn't find that. All right. Three weeks. Um, yeah. They, they just churned it out. Yeah. And I got to say, I've got a lot of respect for, what did I say before this is? It's, um, I, it's enjoyable on a campy level. Like Very. If, if you can, if you can appreciate the cheese of it. And it is entirely a product of that specific moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone were to do this today, they'd just take the original score and they would just throw some beats behind it. Well, he actually and a rap. A, what? And a rap. Yeah, but not necessarily. You could get an electro song that they might just uh, just mix them. Mm. Um, but he got a 70-piece orchestra to do this where he played trombone (laughs) um like this isn't this is actually rewriting the score rearranging it um and recreating it along with a whole bunch of sound effects for r2d2 and um Mm. lightsaber noises and alien noises and it's just bizarre it it is and it's one of those things that it's only going to exist in that bubble and will never exist again uh i i, I want to go back to the movie I, I as much as i am a star wars geek as i'll say it over and over again uh i don't think i'm wrong and i'd love someone to tell me i'm wrong please debate me on this say what you want about star wars whether you think it's a kid's movie this type of movie but i don't care what whatever it is you say it is the best score of all time so do you know that a huge part of that score was ripped directly from a different movie? No. Um, arguably Ronald Reagan's favorite movie. Bedtime for Bonzo? No. Um, the King's something. I gotta I gotta look this up because if I if you were to play it, it sounds exactly King's Row. I think it's King's Row. John it sounds, really this off? You you gotta listen to it. Okay. Um, because it's the the theme, anyways, is strongly borrowed from. Hmm. Not borrowed, not necessarily influenced. Huh? We're we're going like right right lifting. Right lifting. Oh damn, okay. I have to look that up. Yeah, no, and well, anyone I- listening, it honestly, I would have thought it was just like a variation on the same song. Oh damn um it's it's so recognizable um and it's a 1950s movie i think no 42 Hmm. so yeah look it up listen to the theme and uh if i can find it i'll send it to you later but anyways it's it's called the king's road the king's row king's row okay interesting well i still think this is the best of all time whether he lifted it or not it even hits you like, because I have to imagine if you're Miko sort of like sitting in that movie theater, like the first time you see Star Wars, if you're seeing it in a movie theater a long time ago in a galaxy far away, then boom, it just hits you. 
George Lucas, I, who I think is half genius, half idiot. So I guess he's a jidiot. Because <laughs> uh, he, he, I, I think he's actually a very poor director, but I, I think he's a great visionary, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. I, I, I couldn't find it, find it before, but I, because I, I wanted to look at this up again, but he looked, when he was originally sort of look, looking at the score, he made the conscious decision not to go contemporary, which can you imagine if he had, it would have been this, it could have been this. It, it could have been, yes. I mean, imagine that opening crawl with, duh, 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 duh. it doesn't work. Nope. Did well, you- the, the whole movie is very, very dark. It's not the, the sci-fi prior to it. It's not the clean, shiny lines and futuristic space robots like what is depicted on the cover of this album where you've got <laughs> Jetsons porn, basically. Ooh, that's good. Um, yeah, so it's it's not, it, it's gritty and grimy. It's hmm. sand and broken down electronics. Me, George Jetson. You know, Judy was kind of drawn hot. Uh, after saying that, I just want to assure everyone I'm not a virgin. <laughs> I just want to bring that up. because I mean, as long as you don't have the hots for Rosie, I guess. That's the robot? No, I did, I did not have, have the hots for Rosie the robot. No. Definitely not. That'd be like toaster porn, I guess, huh? <laughs> Jesus. All right, this is taking a, a different- So anyways, yes. back to, uh, yeah, Star Wars. It was, it was dark and gritty. Yes, people look at it as a kid's movie now, but it was just a different look than the sci-fi. No, nothing ever looked like that before. No. Nothing. Nothing sounded, well, I can't say nothing sounded like that. Uh, so I was looking at John Williams, uh, the work that he did before, so, like quite a few movies before that. Uh, so I didn't realize until now that Jaws was his. And, and that was really the first blockbuster uh, in considered in, in, in movie history. Uh, so he had, he was in his mid forties. Uh, John's still alive today. So is Miko. Uh, so they were both in their forties then uh, in their eighties now. And fu- the, the fun, funnest thing about this for me was because I couldn't find anything of Miko performing this, which he very well might not have live. I don't think he ever did. Yeah. But you, you see like clips of this on like top of the pops and it's just these goofy dancers. And then the C-3PO things, I, I, which was like what, like four C-3PO's sort of like dancing side by side, not even doing the robot. They should have done the robot, but they didn't do it. It was goofy. It was kitschy. It was, I, I can't even call it awesome because I, I don't consider it awesome. I, I hate it. I, I really hate this actually. But for it, I, I don't know that anyone's ever turned around, at least not in this series, something so fast to capitalize on something. And I don't think Miko did this to try and make a buck. I think he just loved it. I could be wrong. I, mean, I, I can't find any interviews with this guy. I don't know. It seems like he's a pretty legitimate musician. Mm-hmm. And he had to know that it wasn't good. There was there was one thing, there there was an interview out there somewhere that I couldn't find, but there I saw snippets of it and there's a surprising amount of articles about this song, probably because it's so weird. Bad. Um 
but he basically said as they were recording and as, as they were writing it and putting it together, they kept telling each other like, nope, that's too good. You got to dumb it down. It's yeah, it's so make, yeah. Or like, I was like, mm, yeah, I believe that. You've got a couple of actually good, talented musicians writing trash. I mean, technically this is fine. It, it's just not good. But it was it was written for for popularity. It was written to cash in on Star Wars popularity and, it and uses, disco popularity. Yeah, and it uses the three big uh, things from that film: uh, the opening crawl, the Cantina band, and the Imperial March. Mm -hmm. And that's pr pretty much the three biggest themes from that. I, my favorite thing actually too is that this was nominated for best instrumental losing to John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> That's so out John Williams mm -hmm. because he went double platinum and made it to number 1. But then yeah, John John Williams beat him up for the Grammy. Yeah, actually Star Wars theme I didn't know this until today that that it actually went the original one by John went number 10 which is fascinating in itself because it just doesn't seem like something you play on the radio. Whereas this does in 77. He's charted with a bunch of his. He charted with, um, I think he got to 17 with Close Encounters. Which, um, glad you brought that up. Because what do you do, Andrea? Uh, did you get, oh, oh, by the way, did you get Stars on 45 vibes off this? Oh yeah, I was going to bring that <laughs> up later too. Whatever. absolutely all right this is my this is my niche all right i'm just gonna beat this until this horse is not just dead but it's it's buried and i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up the corpse and just make sure that it's dead and then bury it again and then check one more time maybe flog it a few more times when i uh Ooh. when i exhume it yeah so yeah we should look at this guy's discography after uh by miko so yeah, what, what does he do? He got massive success. He goes, oh, what other I, movie score can I discoize? Preferably I, I, by John Williams. Yep, uh, Encounters of Every Kind. That year, he released it that year. Yeah. Holy shit. Miko um, plays know. the Wizard of Oz. Mm. Superman and Other Galactic Heroes in 78. Moondan, I think that's his original. Miko plays music from The Empire Strikes Back, which is pretty much the same music. Christmas in the Stars, Star Wars Christmas album. Did you read much about that one? Because I know you did in your other podcast, the Christmas episode. It's so holiday special. The holiday special, correct. Yeah. Christmas in the Stars. So he approached Lucas mm -hmm. and somehow got him to agree to this. Um, and I say, he's a jidiot. <laughs> it's even got the actor that voices um, C-3PO to sing on it. What else was he going to do? <laughs> right? Um, and, oh, it's just absolute trash. Mm -hmm. Except for one very interesting coincidence of a first commercial recording of someone. Oh shit, I learned this. Uh, uh, was that John Bon Jovi? It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So John Bon Jovi, at the time, John Bon, jo 
Bon Jovi, I think it was. Yeah, I, it broke my heart. To uh, that. It was basically just cleaning man. up at the record studio that his cousin worked at, and mm -hmm. they needed a young male singer. So it was his debut professional recording gig, and he got paid like under 200 bucks for it. Do you know Bon Jovi was the cause of my first fight with my wife? Oh, why? Well, because uh, we're driving somewhere and uh, Runaway was playing on the radio. And so I, I, I just pulled over and I did this. And then she got mad, said, like, stop being such a goof or something. That was a fight? Uh, she got really mad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't know what it, what it was that just set her off at that point. It was just like, I... Yeah, she was very, she said, I'm always serious. You have, you have to learn when to be serious, but, I was, but this is runaway. Yeah. <laughs> that, would right. been, that would have been three years later, shit. Because I came out in 83. And then, yeah, Miko just pretty much, he ran this to the ground and I, I, I got to give him credit. When, it, when the horse was dead, he just retired in his mid fifties. I don't know how much money in went to Florida. What did he work in insurance or something? Uh, commodities, oh, commodities broker. Yeah, yeah. Commodities broker. So, however, at one point, because I mean, Casablanca folded and, mm -hmm. you know, seems like a fiery explosion. Mm -hmm. um, his next label also folded and then he got i can't remember signed with the same label that um that john williams is signed with so when the prequels came out he actually asked to do another version like another one and um um williams has in his contract that they can't do any other versions like that label can't do any other versions of his songs. So he was pretty much shut down. Just as well. John by Williams. John Williams. So I tried to find out if I could see anywhere what John Williams. I couldn't. Like, I couldn't. He did apparently once when he won the Grammy, he actually sent Miko like a plaque with like the number one, like, you know, you, you made it to number one, like, I don't know, album sales or whatever it was. Like he sent him like this, this gift to recognize that, oh, I might've won the Grammy, but you beat me out on the, on the charts. Which... And he would have made a bucket of money off of it. I would, that's what I was also trying to figure out. Like how much could Miko really made off of this? Well, I don't know, because you would think that a significant amount of it would have had to go to John Williams and to George Lucas. Potentially. So who knows what he actually made, but I think they tolerated him for as long as they did because they <laughs> I love that tolerated. They were making money off of him. Yeah. Uh, he did he did appear in something in 1980 worth mentioning. So he had the uh, trombone solo or in uh, Diana Ross's. Uh, a song that we might talk about one day, or maybe not, because it's not really fitting the vein of how the hell, but in Diana Ross's, uh, I think it was her last number one, maybe not, but it was one of my favorite songs, uh, I'm Coming Out. Mm -hmm. And truly one of the great 
pride songs. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had to, I had to think about what that. It, it's yeah. it's a it's a queer anthem for sure. I guess so. I never really thought about that. But anyways, I think a lot of a lot of her music is. Um, but yeah, I got You got to give props to a guy that can um, rock a trombone solo in 1980s and actually get airplay. Like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So again, what he's he's a legitimate musician. No, I, absolutely. He may not make the best music, but it's as much as I dislike this, it's better than some of the other songs we've talked about. Um, not by much. Well, it's better than Stars on 45. Yes. And it definitely had some Stars on 45. Uh, it's the same pattern. Vibes. It's the exact same pattern. Just you, you stumble across something, rush it out, and then just beat it to the ground and just see how much you can milk out of it. And kudos on him, he did. He, he really did. He tapped into something that could not have worked any other time in any other place. Uh, and I think that's the other problem too, when you got a hit like this, uh, because it's so disco and so kitschy, once disco died in 1980, what do you do with this? I gotta play it. You're not gonna it hear it. To the graveyard with that horse you flogged to death. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you couldn't. It was, it was completely done. Whereas, again, I always like that's one of the, my biggest what ifs when I always watch Star Wars. Like, what if Lucas went the other way? Because he taught. I saw a documentary. We talked about that, about the decision he made to go classical. Mm -hmm. like, and I'll I'll maintain that is the best decision he ever did. Not telling Carrie Fisher to to not change accents throughout the film was, was the worst one he did. But yeah. Yeah, maybe getting her an accent coach would have uh, been the right decision. Or just, okay, you're American, just run with that. Because she starts off, oh, Darth Vader, I, I should have recognized your foul stench. That's a terrible impression, but I'm not an impressionist. Unless it's Michael Caine, then I nail it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Do we have any parting words for Miko? Um, no, I think we, um, we, we got beat all this the dead horse. <laughs> I, I was, yeah, I gotta say, I was quite impressed with how catchy and enjoyable it was to listen to that once or twice. And that's it. You, you did better than me. I, I, I had to listen to it in two, two, two uh, bits. I started halfway and then I had to go back to it. And then I tried to listen to some of the other stuff he did. And it was just I, had to, I listened to the, the three and a half minute release. I listened to the, like the seven minute extended release that has a whole lot more sound effects and whatnot. There's, there's like a, a R2D2 solo in there. It's, it's crazy. That's what the world needed. And then I also listened to the full, like 15 minute, um, 12 inch. So there was that. Also, do you know that if you listen to any Star Wars music on Spotify, the progress bar is a lightsaber? No, but well, I, I don't have Spotify yeah. down here, so. Oh, uh, that's, well, anyone listening, if you are yeah. listening, if you have Spotify, 
put on the original George, um, the original Star Wars theme or any other Star Wars music, and it will, it'll, it's a lightsaber. It's pretty great. That is pretty cool. That definitely. All right, so we beat this turkey to the ground. What turkey you got for us next week, Andrea? I decided to go with something objectively great. Objectively great. Yes. Okay. I, I, I'm intrigued. We are going to go back to 1960. Okay. And look at Ray Charles. Well, okay, if it's Ray Charles, how is it objective? It's got to be great. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, nobody can say Ray Charles isn't great. Is it Hit the Road? Hit the Road, Jack? Um, I was going to do George on my mind, but Hit the Road, Jack is also a good option. So I'll let you pick which one you want. Oh. I'm going to go with Hit the Road, Jack, because I don't want to talk about designing women. <laughs> Forgot about that one. Yeah. yeah oh, Delta Burke. Oh, God, Delta Jesus, that show is so stupid. I don't know anyone who watched that damn show. All right, so Hit the Road Jack, Ray Charles, 1961. Okay. All right, that's going to be fun. Ray, yeah. I'll... So this, this isn't is really a hell of a haul. This is, let's look at how the hell this went number one. All right. You know, there's, yeah, lots of, lots of controversy around uh, segregation and whatnot, so... Well, no, this is like taking a, a turn for the, yeah, and, and another conversation on race relations. Well, I'm just going to find the fun in this. It's a good song. It is. All right. Well, with that, everyone stay safe. Have fun. I just knocked over my pop. Well, not on my computer, but that's okay. It wasn't my beer, so that's okay. <laughs> All right. Good night. Good night, everybody. Safe, everybody.